This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church, Duluth, Minnesota. And I'm Halili, owner of The Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate at Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. Luz Maria Frias couldn't be with us today, and she's going to be so mad because we are getting into a conversation today around our roots. If you are in ever in a conversation amongst folks of color, there's going to be interesting, introspective, curious, amazingly like mind-blowing, and tense and frustrating and argumentative conversations about roots. All of us are, are going to get at some point a conversation about our roots. And here's where it gets complicated. Just in this space today here on Zoom, we've got folks representing folks whose, whose, whose land has been stolen in an attempt at genocide. We've got folks who were forced here. Um, and we've got folks whose peoples were left uh, in this secret war doing supporting us. And then we turned around and didn't have the same support back for those supporting left us in the secret senses. war. Left their behinds. Abandoned them. And <laughs> abandoned them in Laos. So, so we've got complicated roots. And so we're going to get into that conversation today. How is the conversation about roots going in our various communities? And I know there are multiple facets and, and aspects, so we're going to try to just wade through it like we would if we were having a conversation out in the park with a few brats and 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 some some red drink. <laughs> and so y'all, let's <laughs> let's have it. <laughs> well, why they got to be brats? How come they can't be spicy polo sausages? Hey, it's it's your world. See, that's the beauty of it, right? <laughs> But but so so only if ask, we have rice with the brats. See, <laughs> there we go. Now we that's really put it way, all together. That's the only way I can eat brats. Uh oh, sounds like roots <laughs> talking here. <laughs> so 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 the reason I bring this conversation up is that many of us um, have seen the trailer for the next Black Panther film, and this led to an interesting conversation between me between myself and some some brothers and sisters from South Africa who I've been working with, the 2911 Project, who are headed out of town. Amazing choir. We should have them on at some point to do something dope with us. But when we were having that conversation, it was very clear in this South Africa-United States connection that there's a whole lot of things that we share in our experience. And as we began to talk with them, we got into the, we got into an exciting conversation about uh, Wakanda forever. And everybody was excited about it. We seemed to be on the same page. Except folks had some things to say about pieces of particular South African culture that were taken um, and used for the film. And while they while we do honor to it, it got us into a conversation about other films and other conversations about African-American roots that co-opt and take identities from the continent and, you know, put them on as costumes, I'll say, coming to America or, or or jokes and references over time. And so we ended up going to tense places as we began to talk about this. And then the one Latino brother in the room was like, well, at least we got Neymar into the space in Wakanda forever, which is a, a, a Latinx character in there. But long story short, we began to have a conversation about roots. How do we all claim roots? What is What are the things that matter to us when we have this roots conversation? And we went to a whole lot of different places and it left me wondering, I wonder how the roots conversations are going in my friends on Counter Stories worlds. What is that roots conversation looking like for you all? This is, um, it's so funny you brought this up today, Anthony, because earlier this week I was invited to... Um, SPNN, St. Paul Neighborhood Network, they have a, a, a program they do every year where community members can come in and learn how to make short documentaries. And I went in to help critique some of their rough edits. And just about every story, every mini doc that was being created was about roots. Um, two of them were- Not the movie, um, like actual- Not like the movie, <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Two of them were um, Hmong- uh, filmmakers, new filmmakers, and wanted to do something about their roots. One, about the roots of um, uh, a refugee who came here um, after the secret war and is now a politician and kind of that journey of becoming of somebody who, you know, uh, fled war to get here and is now serving at the state level. Um, and the other one was a story about her mother and the the ordeal her mother went through. Well, you know, when we talk about the secret war, we always talk about the experience of the soldiers, 
right? Uh, but we don't talk about all the people who were back home uh, and who the, the women who were left to run the farms and raise the families and, and keep things going. And it was really interesting to see that when they both thought of their roots, they thought of something very different. Um, the other one... Uh, one of the other docs was um, from a young Native American woman who was adopted. And her story was really exploring the feeling that she has um, going back to the reservation. And she would go back and her story was really that everybody felt like they knew her, but she didn't know any of them. And there was this disconnect. And it was just really beautifully done. Um, a young black woman uh, did her piece on the choices we make and comparing the choices her father made to the choices of her best friend who is exploring going into uh, becoming a midwife and just how those decisions shape our lives. And so it was really interesting to think all these people were thinking about their roots. And now here's Anthony asking about roots. And it's, it's just I guess it's on all of our minds all the time. I had a conversation with the two Hmong filmmakers afterwards, and I said, it's really interesting that both of you are trying to do something on the roots of the Hmong people because, you know, we talk a lot about the veterans and the elders. But there was mm -hmm. a time when when I was younger and I would ask my parents or my grandparents about their experience and they never wanted to talk about it. So we never knew our roots. Right. It, um, and now is the time when everybody's like, God, we got to get these stories down. So now we're all asking the questions and they're all finally willing to answer them although you know a lot of them have are already gone and a lot of their memories are leaving them see I, i'm so glad you brought that up because that's that that was a part of our conversation as well like as a point where you want to go back and start to reclaim these stories but either folks have died and gone on or they have experienced very traumatic things and i i would often get when i go down to that road and question why do you want to talk about that why do you want to bring that up right mm -hmm. i was having a good day and now you want to talk about all because it didn't right. dawn on me that when i ask those questions i'm asking you to go to a place to recount something possibly very traumatic there are certain family members in my family that people just we don't ask about because that takes us down a road that goes straight to lynching in the in the in the terror of the united states and so there's that's one of the many roadblocks to go even going to get in those roots. Don, you know, as you hear Lee talk, what's coming up for you? You know, being black indigenous, the indigenous side of me is very well connected to my to my roots as a member of the Malax band. Um, and even though I wasn't born on the reservation, I was born and raised in the city, I have deep connections, however. Um, but when you think deeper, I mean, cause you, 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 you know, Anthony, you talked about, um, how deep it is. So, you know, when we, when we look at the history of the Mille Lacs band, now we were here prior to the treaties that we negotiated, right? The 1830, 1834 and 1854, 55 treaty, but even our stories tell us that we migrated to this portion of Minnesota. We migrated um, where to the land where food grew on water. I mean, that's a deep story, right? Where food grows on water. And of course, what we discovered was wild rice, right? And and um, but all I know. Previous, uh, prior to that time is that the Ojibwe folks actually kind of originated more on the East Coast prior to these two countries being formed. I think we were east of the Great Lakes in that region because we have peoples on both sides of the Great Lakes, which are now Canada and the United States. But I think as more Europeans showed up, our folks migrated. <laughs> we, we migrated this way. And, you know, I would fondly say until we ran out of woods, cause we're woodland people, right? And, and, uh, we ran out of woods and, and, uh, and we ended up here in Minnesota. But I, you know, because our, our history is oral, the one, you know, my grandfather, 
may have been able to talk about that. And he may have been sharing some of those stories with me when I was younger. But those stories aren't, aren't always shared in a geographical boundary kind of way. Mm-hmm. Do, you under, do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah. mm-hmm. I know we have been here. But once once you go beyond our treaties, once you go beyond our migration, then it becomes great. Mm-hmm. On my black side, you know, I know that my father and his um, family came from Des Moines. But as you know, there have been different family members on the Eubank side who have kind of tried to trace that name and family back to. You know, like when you're black, you, you trace it back. And what I had heard is that the name Eubanks was was traced back to a plantation in Virginia. Now, whether if that's true or not, I don't know. But I do know there are more Eubanks down south than there are up here, right? Even if we do trace it back to a plantation, Anthony, where did those people originally come from? Mm-hmm. Right. What what African country did they originally and or is there is there the possibility that part of the family may not have been enslaved and could have been free? Yeah, because that has, you know, that happens. Not all black folks were enslaved. Some some were free and um, not many. OK, but um, and and may have gotten here. Differently. I mean, so that's how deep and convoluted that is, right? But you 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 bring up yet these are some of the roadblocks that come, you know, for folks who are tracing their lineage, who talk about their family came over from Europe and and all these things and the DNA tested, which we're gonna get to at some point. But as we start to pull these things out, there are some unique challenges for finding and engaging around roots for communities of color because of the history of the United States. And I think it's something to 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 explore. All three of us have just put in different flavors of what that root what those roots look like. And and I and I'm I I want to pose, you know, this question. Right now, you know, there are um there's a whole lot of reasons to to find our roots and and you know I've heard from what we've said what we've said here and what we shared here you know and what I've had in some of my my experiences some folks want to go reestablish and look for that family link don i i I only know of one Galloway plantation in all of my research in the history of the United States in the Carolinas where the Galloway homesteads are from Carolinas and Virginias Hinton West Virginia in particular as a family node or home base and collection. Um, I know that there are other, I know the Berry family hails out of Mississippi, right? Where slaves outnumbered white folks eight to one, which is why that the, the policies were so sweltering um, and, and, and debaucherous out of Mississippi because, you know, you had a one percent, you know, one eighth of the population controlling, you know, the others. And this is after uh, Native folks had been moved out. There's a really interesting exhibit I, I went on trying to find roots. I went to Jackson, Mississippi. I was there at the at the museum there, and there's two museums at the space. I highly recommend you checking it out because it's wild. On one side is the newly renovated African-American History Museum that's been curated by some of these major um, African-American History Museums, the National Civil Rights Museum curators. You can see that there's similarities. It's amazingly done. On the other side is the original museum, and it's, it's, it's as clear as mayonnaise. <laughs> the difference between one museum and the other. But there's one exhibit on those on the original museum in Jackson that has these these um marble filled vials. And then one and, and it goes over time. And the first vial is all red marbles. The native peoples in Mississippi. And then you start to see as they move the dates along, white marbles sprinkle in. And then the next one has white and black marble sprinkled in. And then the next one, like, not gradual. The next one is mostly black and white marbles with a few red marbles sp- sprinkled in, right? And, and I don't think they intended to do it, but it shows that, those, that moment, right? And then you get to see that Mississippi was majority black <laughs> in the slaveholding population or in the slave population. And so 
the roots in that space took me to answer all of a sudden all these questions start coming out right now i've got two nodes to get to and and roots became then about trying to figure out that question you just posed don because i need to figure out that node root in order to answer the next question about what areas of 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 africa might be connected who are the who we you know cuz cuz there are regional importations that were more prevalent in certain areas than the other that was that was a fantastic example you used and it speaks to i it, it speaks to the untold history in this country because when we talk about removal that example you used with the red marbles and then the black and white and then all of a sudden the red marbles were gone right so the only the only story we hear is the trail of tears hundreds hundreds if not thousands of tribes were removed during that same period all over this country i mean and moved to indian country and that's where the red marbles disappeared but mm. my my grandmother on my dad's side uh their name was gross and there was a family reunion and people did trace my grandmother's side back. It was fascinating. But she came from a family where um, after slavery, they managed to buy and own land down in uh, Missouri. What was fascinating is that they owned the land. They owned mm. a farm, right? And of course, all the natives have been removed by but the farm didn't stay in the family because none of the kids wanted to stay and and continue with that tradition i think hilly there's one thing that hilly talked about that when i was commissioner of uh, health and human services for the malax band and i've brought this up in in other podcasts but we haven't really got in depth on it is at least once every two, three weeks, I would get a phone call from someone who was trying to reconnect or to try to find out if they were a member of the Mille Lacs band. And that was because of adoption. Mm. They now, unlike the example that Hale spoke of earlier, um, they weren't adopted into another Indian family. They were during the you know <laughs> during the early part of this of this century, up until the seventies. Um, Indian children were removed, not just were removed, were taken from families and adopted out to white families. It's those children who were are searching, are trying to figure out where they're from. Those were some of the most difficult conversations I had mm. was with individuals who were calling and asking me, because I was kind of, they were asking me a bunch of questions. And, you know, there, there are family names that are kind of predominant in, in Ojibwe country here in, in Minnesota, but um, they may not even have a name or they might have part of a name. The tribe itself has roles, but it doesn't, it doesn't designate or say who was taken or who was removed, right? Sometimes families never, it, it hurts so bad they didn't even talk about it. Mm -hmm. So we, in order for those individuals to kind of figure out where they were from, unless they could connect directly back to a family member who may remember somebody being born and then somebody not being around. I think that's what Hali was alluding mm -hmm. to. Um, we would have to direct them, God forbid, to the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the federal <laughs> government who kept those records, mm -hmm. right? Or sometimes the Catholic Church. Or the churches, right? And so, you know, just talking about that, you know, the Pope, the Pope just made a trip here to North America and it was up in Canada. Now in Indian country, that blew up 
big time because he <laughs> came here to apologize for the Catholic Church removing Indian children, putting them in boarding schools, you know, wiping out their their cultural connections to their people and whatever. But what blew up in Indian country is that the tribe that hosted the Pope honored the Pope with a headdress. Oh. And that <laughs> blew up. <laughs> that blew up soon as the first photo hit the hit the airways. It just, I mean, because it didn't sit well with many people mm-hmm. in our community. The fact that they already felt that, you know, the apology is is more show than than whatever. And and then to see the Pope with this headdress on after all the genocide the Catholic Church has done. Yeah, it was it I mean, it was heavy. I mean, you talk about, you know, and that that's all connected to, you know, our discussion because people were removed. And now are having a hard time connecting, right? Connecting mm-hmm. back to their roots, connecting back to who they are. So let me ask you, Anthony, why um, why did this topic spark your spark this conversation well, today for you? We, I think, all of our cultural communities share. Um, share a space of telling the stories of previous generations, right? The ancestors mean something to to us in a particular way. And so while we were trying to bond around that, my ancestry has a stopping point because of the history of slavery here, right? That disconnects me from something that I want to claim, and that is membership to the motherland, membership to a Pan-African identity. And that gets complicated when we talked about it. And so I was curious about how that looks. You know, I know where the stopping point is for me. Don, you kind of talked about some of the Mm -hmm. stopping points and roadblocks there. I mean, Lee, you're the only one here um, with a more recent um, immigrant story (laughs) with the same challenges, uh, with some of the same challenges. And so I just thought it would be a fascinating topic to explore, especially as folks are doing the DNA test, as folks are trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, assert their cultural identities, which means we have to go back and figure out what that is. I think also this topic is just something that people don't really think about. Like there's a lot of TV shows now, you know, where people are taking the ancestry and they're learning about their history and stuff like that. But I remember as, you know, uh, when I was younger and not really thinking about this and asking one of my black mentors, you know, I said, well, you know what? Everybody thinks I'm Korean or they think I'm Vietnamese and tell them I'm Hmong and having to explain to them that I was Hmong and what Hmong was. And then I remember asking him, and I was really young at the time, and um, I remember asking him, I said, but you always just say you're Black. Why don't you say, you know, Nigerian or South African? And him having, and us having that conversation where he explained to me, well, I can only go so far back in my history. And it was one of those things that as a young person, I didn't connect the slavery that we learned about in school, right, to this other conversation about roots. Uh, and 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 so just having this conversation with you guys reminded me of that moment. It was really like an aha moment for me where I'm like, wow, these two things actually super relate to each other. And maybe that's why we're all so obsessed about doing our ancestry tests. Now, I did one. Okay, so my sisters and I all did one because 23andMe, the way that those ancestry tests work is they have to have a lot of data of a certain uh, background. And they didn't have enough data of people who knew they were Southeast Asian. So they gave free tests out to people who knew their maternal grandparents and paternal grandparents were from the region. So we did it and we all got pretty much the same thing, you know, Pan-Asian, China, um, and some Native American in all of ours as well. Uh, so we were like, yeah, we, we basically already knew this, but my husband took one and he's, you know, your generic white guy. And he came back with like tons of different areas and uh, different backgrounds and learning all this stuff that I was just like, how come you guys just didn't know? Like, why don't your parents just tell you guys all this and not really understanding what that was? Because I was like, I feel like my parents talk about us being Hmong all the time and how Hmong we are. And, 
you know. <laughs> to, to that point, let's talk about the DNA test piece because there's a reason that we go back and search and find roots. It helps you, it, it, it you know, you, you search out to find your own identity. You want to know the connections. A lot of times when I really get this urge to really go back and look at roots, it's because I've interacted with, 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 um, more newly arrived or, or 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 current residents of the motherland, what I call the motherland, Africa. Okay, um, and so and so when I do those interactions, I get a little jealous, right? And hear me out, all right? I'm not I'm not dismissing my my black with the history through slavery, um, you know, ados or whatever you want to call it, identity here in the United States. But there is something one that calls to me. And I don't have a name for it. But when I'm with African friends, when I'm with friends who are from West Africa, in particular in South Africa, I felt this call. So when I was with my, my, um, friends from Mali, friends from Ghana, friends from Liberia, there's there's almost this this auntie uncling that tends that happens where where I, I I feel not only a pull but an understanding of what's going on. I feel like a natural rhythm that's that's there. No pun intended, because you know we black. But you know I feel like there's a pulse there that connects to me, that calls to me, and it feels like home. The same with South African brothers and sisters who I I spent time studying in South Africa. There's a there's a rhythm. There's a connection there. There's an understanding. Right. Lo and behold, as I try to answer that question about identity, um, and I told you the two nodes, right. There is a very high prevalence of Central African peoples brought to um, areas around Mississippi, Louisiana, and the South. And the East Coast is very much more of a West African presence. And rice is a very interesting part. I thought you'd get a kick out of this one, Lee, because of the conversations we have that rice must be present at all of our meals, right? Like, they brought in African peoples who knew how to rice because Europeans didn't in the areas of the West Coast. And so what I find fascinating is when I pull up, and I'm pulling it up now, my DNA record, right? 80% of the DNA on my record comes from Western and Central Africa. Almost mm. exactly those pulls, right? Um, the, the the South African connection is because I studied there and I, I got, you know, there was some acculturation connection there. But... I just find it fascinating that somehow that made me feel like, ah, I can make this claim in a way that I couldn't before. And I didn't know why. And 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 so that that gets me regularly coming back to this roots question. I wonder how much of this is is connected and how much of it is is connected all the way back to the continent and how much of it is stops here at the place where my my lineage research stops. And those are some of the questions that come up for me when I try to grab those roots. So when you ask why, why, these are some of the things that are in my head when I go back and look why. Trying to figure out who I am, who I'm connected to. I would love to say that my lineage goes all the way back and connects to Yaasanta, a queen mother of Shanti Empire in, in Ghana, um, who was going toe-to-toe with the British. I would love to say it goes through Shaga, right? But we can't. But those questions still loom. I wonder if. So those are some of the things that are swimming around for me. You know, and for for a young girl to to have come out with such an astute question, mm-hmm. uh, Hilly, was astounding because your response, well, how come you say you're just black? And that, uh, I guess, pun intended, is the root of the issue, right? <laughs> I mean, because there is that disconnect on that side because many of us don't know Right. My, I haven't done the DNA thing. I get too paranoid. It's just, it's just another way that they can track you. But my sister did. And I don't remember, you know, I think I, we, I shared it once on, on a previous comment story, but you know, I'm slightly over half. Um, I forget what they call it, meso Indian, whatever, you know, and, and, um, but I, I was, uh, you know, I, I always say I'm black indigenous. My dad was black. My mom's Indian. For when it came to uh, sub-Saharan, or I don't remember the term, was only like thirty-three percent. So I'm not <laughs> as black as I thought. You know, my my dad wasn't <laughs> full. You know, and so because uh, because there are some other European kind of stuff, which is indicative, I think, of of the experience here in in America, right? Particularly when we look at those white and black marbles. You know, once you remove the red ones, but so, so, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I'm a Heinz 57. 
So I, you know, when you break it down genetically, I'm more native. And then the next concentration is, is African. And then with uh, some European stuff in there. But this this is one of the this is one of the very interesting parts that comes when you when you marry the lineage piece, right? The ancestry piece with the genetic piece. Because I can go back pretty far and there ain't a whole lot of mixed race um uh uh couples in that lineage until we get to the plantation days, right? Mm-hmm. Where where so so when I look at the European uh, part of the DNA makeup, you know, there, there's it, my last name's Galloway. Lo and behold, lo and behold, the next, uh, the 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 piece of European that's in that in that area is from Scotland, Ireland area, um, which tracks with the plant. So so all of a sudden, this picture starts to form as we start to piece together and be able to tell the who are the ancestors that I call in. Right, I can say motherland, I can say the continent, right. But, but can I really say it? And I think that is something that we are seeing even in the Black Panther films. We, we see pieces from multiple African tribal groups across the continent because we can't say this group or that group. I can't trace it all the way there. And so we're left with having to piece together something that is just, that is nodding to the, to, to the, the, the best the best parts that we can form in our minds and consciousness. And yet at the same time, I have folks coming to me. You talk about uh, an astute question. I had a question that knocked me on my behind kid darker than me, full locks. Like nobody's questioning his blackness whatsoever, no matter where he goes. And he comes up to me after I spoke at a, at a Pan-African student union event. And he says, now I don't understand. How do you know your people came from Africa? And I was stuck. I was like, uh, well, <laughs> I had to figure out what, what makes you think that folks, your folks didn't. He's like, well, I can only trace back to Mississippi. I was like, but you know, the history of, you know, the, the slave trade and all these things. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know all that. But, but nobody can show me proof that my peoples come from Africa. And I was like, bro, where else in the world do you see folks who look like you? Like, let's put it on a map. Throw a dart. And he was like, well, where's all of of Central America? And my face palm was like, it was hard. I almost left a face print in my forehead. Because now (laughs) other people had come around, waiting to see what I was going to say, because they didn't have this conversation with this young brother. And it got down to the point where he was like, I got him to acknowledge that he did not want that to be true because he couldn't deal with the anger, frustration of all the things that it meant to say yes to that. It was, it was, it's a very small cognitive thing, but he was unwilling to make that connection because it meant that I have to, I have to acknowledge all this dirt and that's going to leave me so frustrated and pissed and all that stuff. And I've just been able to leave it at the table and say, I'm not going to make that final connection. Um, And so I just, these roots conversations get deep because some of us get to go back. I'm, I'm I'm really curious (laughs) On this point, because another reason that these roots conversations come up is because we have conversations about preservation mm-hmm. of cultural identity. Well, you know, and I know you were di- directing that to Hilly, but for me, it triggered it triggered dynamics that I was seeing in the classroom. Um, and those those dynamics are, you know, I. I one of the classes that I that I taught and I bring up all the time was comparative racial and ethnic analysis. Historically, right, we we broke those, we broke that down into four categories: African American, Native American, Asian, and Latino. Um, however, in the past 10, 15 years, we have a uh, influx of immigrant students to the point where almost 68, 60 to 70 percent of our student body were immigrant students. Now, two categories, Asian and African, right? Hmong or Karen or some of the, even some newer groups that are coming over on the Asian side. But on the African side, they were coming from 
all over. Mm -hmm. We were placing those immigrant African students in the black experience Mm -hmm. and placing them, you know, part of that, part of that experience was to do an internship in an organization run by Mm -hmm. people from those communities. Well, there was a disconnect for many of those students because they're like first generation, first or second generation to this country. Their identities are tied to who they, where they came from. They were either Somali or Kenyan or the, I mean, you know, and, and so to put them in a organization that worked with the black community, um, was problemsome. There was a disconnect and for the immigrant students, but also from uh, the blacks that were here in this country. Mm. There's a disconnect. Um, and how they relate between those two, if they relate at all, right? Now, the only common denominator is how they're going to be treated when they're outside the classroom, when they're walking down the street, strictly based on their skin color in this country. I mean, that, that is, you know, that was the common denominator unless their dress signified and, and also othered them. And I'm talking about a hijab or some mm-hmm. other types of dress that would further other them beyond just being black. Do you understand? So, I mean, it was very interesting. And it was the one area that I wish we got to spend more time talking about that much. It goes back to Haley's astute question when she looked at that gentleman and said, well, how come you get to just say you're black? Hmm. Because there is a big difference, right? This brings me to something that another thing related to this that I didn't realize is related to this topic that has been that we've been talking about a little bit is, you know, a lot of times when I'm out in community and people meet me and know me from the show, right? And I'll say, you know, I'll say it's the, it's the, I, I get asked, like, do you ever turn it off? Right. Like talking about BIPOC <laughs> issues or that kind of stuff. Um, and, and you know, it's like, oh, you get you seem to, you know, you're obsessed with race. or you ever always make everything about race? But then these white people are also so obsessed about doing their own, you know, finding their roots and where they come from. Um, and it it's just reminded me of something that happened. I don't know if it was over the weekend or last week, but the Epsi Awards, right? The sports awards. Oh, SB. The SB, yes. So the yep. SB Awards happened and there are photos like, oh, who wore what? And Sunisa Lee was wearing uh, this really cute dress. And a lot of people, a lot of Hmong people were like, oh, you missed the opportunity to wear Hmong clothes. Why didn't you wear Hmong dress? Why didn't you wear, you know, and really pushing that like, like you need to be showing your roots all the time or something. And it, it gave me, I remember just reading all those comments and being like, because she's a Hmong athlete, she needs to be, I don't know, like forcing everybody to see that she's a Hmong athlete and that she's the Hmong athlete by, by showing us, you know, where she's from constantly. And then we're like, unhappy if she goes to some big ceremony and she's not wearing Hmong clothes, you know? And so there was this really weird, just com- like conversation happening in community about, about that. And it, it really does relate to this topic too, you know? Yeah, part of it, that gets us to another reason. I think, I think you're, you're, y'all are, y'all are surfacing great questions that I think need to be on the table as folks think about how we, how we think about this is there's dominant culture has a way of thinking about finding roots and and there are complications to this that we have to deal with as people of color one of the reasons about finding roots keeps coming back to this membership question about what group do i get to claim ownership membership for and then what are the what are the the requirements then of that area when i show up in a dashiki or african print dress or anything like that there is a, a a first look that says, yeah, yeah, the tracks, right? But when I'm amongst African peoples, right, um, I might, you know, that that changes a little bit, only because you know, folks now got to go. Uh, 
do you know what that pattern means? Do you know why that wearing that? Why are you why are you yes. wearing a dress outfit to yes. to this block party? Like there's there's some interesting questions that come mm-hmm. up. And you know, um, wow, yeah. I mean, because it gets deep. I mean, you know, it gets deep. And I can I can only imagine that discussion because we see it in our own communities, right? Another another aspect of this when we're talking about roots, and we we touched on being adopted out, we 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 touched on being removed and then coming back. And you know, currently, you know, about a month ago, we had two guests with us from the uh, indigenous community, and we were talking about uh, blood quantum that at the Minnesota Chippewa tribe is is dealing with this issue of tribal eligibility right now is limited to individuals who have one-fourth or more blood of that tribe, right? The questions we're asking, should, should we just eliminate that requirement and or should the tribes have the ability to set their own, their own eligibility and, you know, this ties heavily back to our discussion because it's about how individuals identify, not based on blood, right? I mean, I mean, it's very deep. It's very, very deep yeah. in terms of how, how you're connected, how you're not connected. You know, what group do I belong to, Anthony? I mean, that, that's key. And, um, um, and, and indigenous populations we not only belong to a group but it breaks down to mm-hmm. a particular tribe or band right mm-hmm. because like i said there are there are Ojibwe sprinkled in minnesota wisconsin and we may be distantly related but they're different dialects mm-hmm. and 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 that just like you know i know dr tao um when he when he taught about Hmong, i learned that there's white Hmong and green Hmong. Right in terms and of that's a language in terms of language determination and and and, and, and some cultural you know and on top of the class so I mean so it, it gets deep it gets really deep when you start looking at when, when you start throwing in all these other variables and um um because are you are you connected only through blood hmm. or are you connected hmm. through culture. Are you connected that's, through language? I mean, that's the point. That's that's the thing right there, right? Connection. To get to another one of the reasons. So we've talked about we we we've talked about finding self. We've talked about seeing you know going back and and, and connecting ancestry. We've talked about about um, uh, uh, access to you know how do we figure out who gets what in the in the native experience. There's you know that it the, the roots question matters in terms of of actual material land membership I, I, that we've talked about. I'm trying to make sure I track them all. We've talked about um, the membership question. And, 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 then, and then we've got to add this piece about connection in there. Because one of the things that's clear for me, uh, we may have all these conversations about roots between African um, uh, Americans through the history through, through, through slavery in the United States and then more newly arrived African peoples. And yet, let me put a pot of greens on the table and nobody has to have a conversation about what the protocol is. Let me get us together and start dancing and having, having, you know, a socialized space. There doesn't need to be a whole lot of conversation on some of these cultural things. And so in there, then we come almost full circle back to a conversation. Do, are we spending too much time? I know, I know I've tried this down this line, but now I'm asking the counter question. Do we spend too much time focusing on roots when there is a collective identity for through in solidarity that we can make? And this is one that is starting to creep into the conversation. Are folks trying to spend too much time focusing on roots when we've got bigger fish to fry, pun intended? And this it's came a, up in the a, conversation as well. It's an it's not an either or. Since Luz is not true here, indeed, true indeed. I will say it. True indeed. It's not an either <laughs> or. Um, one of the, the young, that. one of the filmmakers that I met this week, um, did a piece on, on his roommate. They're both from Cameroon and how they got here, 
right? And after I watched his like rough cut of like five minutes or so, I had so many questions. Um, you know, his friend had come here. Um, he was working on his master's back home. He came here and was working as a dishwasher. And his question was like, you know, why, why am I doing this? And he ends up going um, and getting his PhD here in the States, here in Minnesota. And, you know, just the story of his life coming here. And I remember us, uh, me and the other folks in the room doing the critique, like asking like, oh, how did he get here? And then we learned about this lottery program that they have. And it was just like we ha started this whole conversation outside of just this one person's experience, but like how the system is has worked to benefit some people and not other people from this particular country. Um Fast forward to yesterday, a few days later, when I'm interviewing a woman from um, Iran who was helping with the Afghan resettlement effort um, through the organization CAPI, and hearing her story, and she kept saying, we were coming from the bases, the bases, and finally I was like, what do you mean bases? And she said, the military bases was where they were kept, not refugee mm -hmm. camps where my parents right. were kept, and we had this whole conversation about how we're all refugees but our journeys here were so different and we connected on these different levels right of not just being immigrants or you know descendants of immigrants or refugees but how that happened how they got here what the relationship to the U.S. was was it a good relationship was it a bad relationship I mean I felt like I made new friends learning these hmm. and that even though our roots are different, our ex the experiences of our people were similar, but with obviously stark differences as well. And that was the conversation that got us going. If that, I don't so, know if that answers your question at all, but. Well, you, you, you lit up when you say it. And I think, I think it's, it's less of a question and more of a, of a, a, a piece of the, of the conversation because when we find roots and we see that, we start to see where there are connections and where there are, are, are not, ones we thought were there that aren't there. I mean, I'll never forget, let, let alone the fact that some of these DNA tests are re, rewriting family histories because uh, I've had a couple of experiences in family where folks were like, wait a minute, uh, so-and-so doesn't show up like in the relationship that you thought and folks are finding out that their fathers, <laughs> they're not their actual father's kids. And there's all those pieces that come back with that, with that. Right. So there's also kind of trying to tell the story of who we are, but I think to your point and to the, and, and, and to the idea of, you know, the complications that come up, I, I think ultimately there, the, the uh, final piece that is in the milieu of reasons why folks are, are focusing on roots and the complications of it is the risk of loss. I think all of our communities, the more we're here in the United States, the more we are in this space where there's a, a forced assimilation, there's, there's acculturation, there's all these different things that are happening um, in, a plural, in a pluralistic society, we also have the thing about preservation. One important aspect of finding roots to the to the central question, you know, how is this conversation going, is that folks are having conversations about how, how do we preserve our roots. Now, I know, you know, Lee I'm, I'm, and, uh, and, and Don, you have access to a linguistic cultural heritage that I just don't as a multi-generational African-American. We are, our, our, our language is gone you know not in terms of they don't exist anymore but 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 only that the disconnection from that what has happened a long time ago in my own family experience but 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 for some communities that have that that linguistic piece there's always that conversation with the next generation of preservation of that language i know that this conversation goes for 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 native communities i've heard this conversation directly with Hmong friends Whose whose parents get on them about the fact that they don't they the, the their mung is horrible, like I literally somebody somebody's mom said something to them and I said what did she just say to you and he was, she was like oh I said something to them in mung and they told me my mung was horrible like that the, there are these yes. these these connections right so preservation I think is also a piece of this conversation yes and and the conversation I had with the other two um, young um, the two upcoming filmmakers was just how ironic it is that our parents are so mad at us for not speaking Hmong um, when, while we were younger 
And of course, this makes sense to me now as an adult understanding this. But at the time, it was like they were really pushing us to learn English because they wanted us to succeed in this country and to get good grades. So we really, you know, the the Hmong was really lost through the as we got older because we were so focused on, you know, doing good in English and, and getting good grades and all that kind of stuff. Now we're to the point where my generation is like, okay, so we need to start to understand our history. That means our parents and our grandparents need to start telling us what happened. And so there is this big movement now within the Hmong community to collect these stories and to try to preserve language. Um, so you're seeing like Hmong language camps popping up over the summer for young kids. It's just, you know, each generation, it's we're losing it more and more. And so there is a big effort now to be like, how can we preserve this and keep it going for our younger kids who like when my mom says things to some of my nieces and nephews, they're just like, uh, okay, whatever. No idea what she's saying. I know that's very different for the indigenous community. Well, I mean, you know, it's different because it was, it was a forced disconnection. Um, what made me sad listening to your story, Hilly, is that I remember thinking when Hmong first started, um, immigrating to the United States and began to show up in, uh, St. Paul, I remember th- because there was a big culture clash between the mm-hmm. first Hmong that arrived with America. And we were hearing stories about it in the newspaper. Forced marriages, yada, 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 all mm-hmm. these Hmong traditions that were just clashing with American society. And I remember having the thought, I wonder how long it's going to take for the Hmong to lose those ways, to lose that culture, cultural connection. And then remember, I don't know, what was it? Three, four years ago, we all, or maybe even longer, we went to the historical society to go see that Hmong presentation. Remember Mm -hmm. that Hmong, Mm -hmm. that that Hmong exhibit? Mm -hmm. And they, for whatever reason, they had broken that Hmong exhibit and they had kind of classified if you remember, between Hmong 1, Hmong 2, and Hmong 3, right? Because I went, immediately went back and the next day and talked to Dr. Tao. What the hell is this Hmong 1, Hmong, you know? And It was and, the, uh, the one and a half. And it was <laughs> the generation. They, they had broken it down by generation. And when I hear you talking, we're talking about that, pretty much that third generation that is now at a point where they're doing remedial recovery on the same ground that we are in Indian country and reclaiming, trying to reclaim that language, right? Because mm-hmm. listening mm-hmm. to your story was the same as my story when we would ask our mother to teach us Ojibwe, but her experience at the boarding school taught her that she needed to le- learn English, and so did we. And it was the almost the exact same words we got from our mother that you were getting from your parents. It you know the similarities are uncanny, mm. but it's sad that it only took three generations to reach this point. Okay. And that's what I I think is is for me is is so sad about this process. And um, because to get to your question, Anthony, you know. The indigenous side of me has tried very hard not to acculturate, right? I mean, if we have to use English terms, you know, it's like when they brought Christianity here, our, my ancestors would listen to the what they were saying about it. And then when they got done, they'd look at them and say, okay, now here's ours. Right. Mm-hmm. And try to explain to them about our spirituality, which wasn't accepted. And so it was confusing for us. You know, we listen to your story, but you don't listen to ours. Right. I mean, there was I don't re, I don't think ever a time 
where we were trying to acculturate or adopt into the dominant culture, with the exceptions of some tribes on the East Coast, right? The Cherokee, mm-hmm. Choctaw, and some others right. who, who did a very good job of it. And what did it get them? Right. Right. It Cherokee, them Choctaw, Chickasaw, <laughs> Creek. <laughs> it got yep. them absolutely nothing except removed <laughs> from the East Coast into Oklahoma. Um, but so in terms of that, yeah, I think many Native American tribes aren't concerned about assimilating into the dominant culture. That's why we have our reservations. Yeah. It's, but the boarding school era, era has kind of broken down that language. And so now there's that language in a lot of the cultural ways. And much like what Hale was talking about, I shared the story where I was trying to record my grandfather, but that generation had something about refusing to uh, allow us to record mm. that, you know, and and I and it's important to get that before it's gone, because when it's gone, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the preservation of that connection runs deep, especially with collectivist societies as loose. Um, you know, often reminds us is that one of the things that all of our connections share is that we are collectivist in nature. And that not only does do ancestors matter, but but there's a there's a um, there's a power that comes in not only knowing who you are, passing down the stories, passing down the connection, but we're also human, and there that comes with complications, especially when trauma is introduced, when your when your people get left after siding with the United States, like 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 the Hmong folks and 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 um, did during that secret during the secret war. You there's a there's an there's a there's a there's a uh, an attention to preservation that I think is huge because now there's another shared experience of that. I think one of the things that we can we can share and say as African Americans with a history through slavery, we had a shared experience, right? And and that matters. And so you know as we as we close, I'm curious. You know as we've talked about all these reasons why this roots question and finding our roots. Um, you know, all these reasons why we do it and why it's a part of our conversation. If you had to think about something, I wish I could go back and get. I wish I could go back and get. What is, you know, there may be many things, but what is at least one piece that you wish you could go back and get as we close out this conversation about our roots? What is one thing you wish you could go back and get? Wow. I get I I think for me would be um, the language. I wish that my mother or others in our family um, took the time to teach us that we're speakers, first speakers, right? Um, Hilly? I think for me personally... Um, it would be to have dug dug deeper with my grandfather while he was alive. Uh, I did an interview with him before he passed, but both A, because my language skills are not great, but also because I had never seen him so vulnerable, I didn't ask the questions, the really deep questions that I was wondering about because I figured I would do it the next time. I could sit him down for an interview, but there was no next time. So I wish I would have gone, I could go back and redo that interview. Hmm. I think for me, there is a practice that is shared across many different cultures in the, in the continent of Africa, which I have to have as my, as my dart of ancestry. I have to have it be huge because it can't know because of all that history there. But it's important for us to call the names. It is important for us to call the names of ancestors as we engage. And so one thing I wish I could go back and get are so many names that could have been there 
except there was a hist- there was a there were records houses that were burned as white folks tried to cover up their tracks and in that area there were folks who did not want to tell stories of the trauma that tore stories out that the folks who were taken from families all of those different things i wish i could go back and get the names we've had a, a thank you all for going to this conversation with me roots conversations are near and dear to my heart i wish I wish to your point earlier, Don, that we could have a conversation between your ancestors who wanted to give their side of the story when the uh, under the papal bull in, the, in 1493, the doctrine, the doctrine of discovery was put forward by the Catholic Church that said if you find a place and they're not Christian, you can conquer it and take it. Um, and it, so, so I wish those folks that you had talked about that wanted to give their story back could talk to my pre-colonial. Afro-Asiatic Christian folks before Rome and Europe had their say on it because I had I feel like they would have a lot of really interesting things to share in their indigenous wisdoms. Those are the kinds of things that I that these roots conversations make me think of. What if that could be true? And it's partly because of this this saying. Um and this this um uh, this comes from uh, uh an African author uh, Matshona uh uh Diluayo, who who says this if you know where you are from, it is harder for people to stop you where you are going. A tree's beauty lies in its branches. A tree's beauty lies in its branches, but its strength lies in its roots. It's the roots that give a tree strength, not its branches. This has been a, another episode of Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Malax Banner with Jibway Indians. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the Other Media Group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit Counter Stories dot com.